This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I'm Tyler Metcalf, joined as always by Tyler Rucker. Rucker, it's been a minute since it was just us. How's it going? Yeah, it has been a minute. Um, you know, for for everyone that's been paying attention, we had the uh, well, we had the mock draft feed go out last Friday. Yep, it's been gosh, it was only last Friday, seems like that was a month ago. Um, so yeah, it's been a minute. Um, I'm really excited to be back with you, Metcalf. We did a couple of podcast episodes. Shout out to Topic Thunder. Mm-hmm. That was a really fun episode. Me and you just jumped on to talk some OKC hoops. If you guys haven't listened to that one, go check it out. It was great. Um, but um, it feels right to be back on the No Ceilings Draft Show with you, kind sir. How are we doing? I'm sorry about your T-Wolves. I thought they just fought, and I thought Mr. Edwards grew up a little bit. And I'm not mean that in a bad way. The, the clip after the game is absurd, if you saw that. Did you see that clip about him running into the tunnel? Mm-mm. Oh gosh. So he like grabbed the chair to move out of the way and it like he like tried to like pull it out of the way and did like a 360 and then like tried to drop it and it kind of like hit someone. He, he did hit someone, but it wasn't that bad. But like I think now like legal stuff's coming into it. I'm like, come on, people, can we just can we rub some dirt on it and just get over it? Like, why do we have to make it whatever? Hope she's doing okay. But um yeah. Awesome prayers. What, what sorry what, about your T Wolves. I'm I'm ready to you know, go and happy draft day to all that celebrate the other draft. <laughs> yes, we, we we are recording this middle afternoon Thursday uh, before yes. the NFL draft and the NBA playoffs, so we can responsibly watch both of those simultaneously. Um, yes. Yeah, so I'm 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 good. You know, busy as always. Mm-hmm. Uh, dodged a massive bullet at the gym earlier today. Was just ending my workout with like ten minutes, so just sh- shooting around, finishing up a podcast, and this like seventeen, eighteen year old high school kid comes over. And asked if I want to go one on one. I haven't played one on one in like seven years. Um, I would have paid for that video. <laughs> I would have paid so much. You could Blake check it. Oh, gosh. I was like, oh, I, I I'm leaving in like five minutes, man. Sorry, otherwise I would, but can't today. So appreciate you recording with me earlier. <laughs> otherwise, I I might be in the the ER right now because some high schooler just embarrassed me and ruined my knees even more than they already are. So appreciate you. Yeah, I, I mean. I I might just keep that. That was actually me. I'm paying for that <laughs> yeah. kid to just. I'm gonna say, okay, go back and try to do that again. I don't know if someone challenged me right now. I'd probably say yes, and then yeah, just I, realize I'm in for a miserable day, and then I'd probably have a deep conversation with myself, like look in the mirror after I lose by like ten, and be like, <laughs> we gotta start training. You know, we gotta get we gotta get back and get back of that smoke. So, wow, proud of you for saying no. Um, you know, sometimes you got to just commit to the pot, the grind. It, yeah, well, it, I saved a lot on medical bills. Um, <laughs> so we, we, we got a full slate 
today. Uh, really going to be, uh, uh, it's going to get messy, but yeah, it is. A, a little bit of housekeeping up top. Um, if you've really enjoyed what we've, if you've been enjoying this pod um, and want to tell your friends, want to help us grow, want to make sure other people um, can learn more about the draft and have a good time and hang out um, and help us kind of keep building this community, please leave a review, um, leave a rating, subscribe. Um, it does wonders with the algorithm and all that stuff. And if you have, we love you. We appreciate you. If you haven't, we still love you. We still appreciate you. Thanks for listening. Um, but today, it's an episode that we've kind of been putting off and we just kind of have to rip the bandaid off and yep. get to it. So today we're breaking down Amen Thompson. We're breaking down Asar Thompson. Um, and then at the end of the show, we're going to be updating the green room, which is long overdue. Um, but when we talk about both these guys, Rucker, I want to try and minimize how much we compare the two, because I think there's such significantly different players um i wanted to do them in the same episode though because they obviously played on the same team and played for overtime elite um and i think kind of combining them may help listeners uh if they if they're doing their film dive um it kind of helps them keep everything a little more efficient and kind of kill two birds with one stone so do you want just do do you want to talk about the ote experience overall first before diving into their games or do you just want to get into a men's game uh we could do we could do any way you want here here's what we need they're a disclaimer everyone's got to buckle up with this one this is going to get sloppy um you know me and metcalf have kind of tried to brainstorm because we know every this is the hot hot topic you know it's not even it's not even brandon miller versus scoot if you've been following the trends in the draft community now it's everyone's wanting to debate about the Thompson twins. It's there's some, been some tweets out on Twitter. There's been some conversations on YouTube. It's just, it's here. It's finally, you know, the powder keg is erupting because everyone wants to talk about this and everyone's trying to debate and battle for the Thompson twins. Some people that have been watching them all year and evaluating are, we're passing along what we've been hearing and it's going to be ugly for some diehard fans out there. I'm sorry. But um, me and Metcalf, what I'm trying to get at is we were trying to plan what we wanted to talk about first with this. And I have a feeling this one's just going to be all over the place. We're going to have to spill all of our thoughts and try to bring it together. So we might be, you know, it might not be a straight line. It might be a long, long road, but stay with us on this one. So Metcalf, we can start wherever you want. If you want to start with OTE, I'm good with that. I, I feel like we have to just start you know, slowly ripping off the bandaid with this one. And then all of a sudden the picture is going to get clearer. So you tell me what you want to do. Um, you know, I, I think our thoughts on the overall overtime um, experience will kind of come to yeah. light as we talk through these guys. So the, the, the listeners are here for the breakdown of both these players. So let's just dive into a men's game. Mm-hmm. Um, but first let's take a quick break. And we're back. All right. So Amen Thompson. Let's start with the obvious. Uh freak athlete. Um, really yes. he's gonna be one of the best athletes in the in the league the second he enters the league. Um for most of the season, he's been kind of top three, top five for a lot of people. Um, he might be lower for some others. When you watch a men, what really gets you excited about his game? 
first step. Um, I'm trying not to be obvious because everyone's going to be like, well, he's an ass. He's athletic. They're all athletic. They're entering the NBA. Um, the athleticism is fantastic. The explosiveness, the first step, the ability for him to, when he wants to get somewhere, it is tough to stay in front of him. And then the, the playmaking, those are, those all get me really pumped. And then when the cherry on top is him being six, seven, we got a lot that we can work with right away that a lot of people can't necessarily bring to the table. And I think that's my, my biggest thing I keep coming around on when it comes to, I, I'm not selling all my stock on a man um, because I keep coming around to that guys have carved out lengthy careers at the NBA level with less to offer as prospects. That is, I've tried to point this out in my articles lately when I've talking about the Thompson twins, we're almost in a weird way. I think we're putting them at too high of a pedestal. Maybe we need to just think lower and be like thrilled with what outcome happens. Because as I just said, guys have made lengthy careers at the NBA level and made a lot of money with less to come into the league with. Um, the shot, I can't stand it sometimes. Um, the the playmaking, he... I'm trying to not go too crazy. So sorry, Metcalf. Stop me, interrupt no. me if I get a little off the rails. His playmaking is unbelievable. He also tries to force a playmaking lane to happen when it doesn't need to be. Sometimes he needs to dribble and be like, just extra pass, guys wide open. Instead of you trying to dribble and make somebody else come at you and you throw a fancy backdoor no-look dime that usually gets you know, a turnover in a, in a weird way. He needs to not try to be a highlight machine. He needs to just play simple because he's such a good passer. He he's such a good playmaker. He has great vision. Don't go fancy. Just make it simple. Be quick. Don't be in a hurry. And I think that's with a man. Like he has so much stuff that yes, there's a lot of negatives, but the positives he has to go off of are still so impressive. And, and me and you are going to talk about, his age, there was a big tweet about everyone going crazy about a scout saying, well, he's 20 years old playing in 16 year olds. That's correct. Yeah. That is a correct a statement. That's a fact. Everyone could get pissed about it. And there, a lot of people were like, what about the international tour? And I was like, come on, stop this. They weren't dominating against FC Barcelona and top Euro league plays. And everyone's gonna be like, well, what about mega? Mega was terrible this year. Jurisic <laughs> looked like a potential lottery pick against OTE. That tells you enough when he shot 19% from three this year. One of those teams was literally in the first year ever. Um, I think it was Marcus All's team. Um, Rocco was their big prospect. We always love Rocco. And as much Rocco as we can talk as we can get, you know, death taxes, cockroaches, and Rocco Perkinson. But um, I don't know, Metcalf. I'm just all over the rails because this one is going to get sloppy. Where are you, where are you at? Um, well, let's stick on the competition level fine, for a minute. Fine. Just we'll be quick about it. But <laughs> I, I think it is important to note, not, not not necessarily as a way to slander or diminish what these guys can be or are or whatever, because everything we've heard is they are really, really good kids and really, really hard workers. Yes. And when you get guys with who have these just natural athletic ability and questions around other aspects of their game. It'd be really concerning if the feedback wasn't that they were super coachable, but they are. So that kind of naturally gives you some 
maybe a little more encouragement that they can really grow those weaknesses into potential strengths or at least league average abilities. Um, so I, I think that on its own is really important and notable. The the f- backlash about that comment the other day makes absolutely no sense. Um, yeah, they, they look solid on the Euro Tour. Like you said, not <laughs> it wasn't top le- top tier Euro competition, but they were still they were adults, they were grown men, they were professionals, so cool. Um, what the fuck are we doing comparing the the fucking basketball tournament to NCAA basketball or the Euro Tour or the G League? If you're if you if <laughs> you lost me, for everyone, them, yes, yes. If your yes. argument for them is well, they dominated the TBT. Your argument is fucking flawed. The, the, They're really good on 2K. That's right. This has, That's right. <laughs> this has everything to do with that being an argument. That argument is nothing. It means nothing. So get that shit out of my face. Now, talking about OTE, everything at OTE was catered to their success. And that's yes. fine because they are the poster tra- the poster kids for OTE. So OTE has every incentive for them to thrive, to dominate, to be top five picks in the NBA draft, because that's how OTE grows and continues to get more talent in the doors in the future. I don't think it did any service to them actually getting better as players this year. I, what I saw on tape from last year to this year was very similar. It was an abundance of transition offense for both of them. And they're both incredible in transition. I have zero doubts about their transition ability. Their hit ahead passes are insane. Uh, both these guys are making like mid air kick out, kick out passes off of defensive rebounds to lead the guy to an easy dunk. Um, just a men, he ranked in the 94th percentile in transition scoring. Um, now just quick caveat, all of the synergy numbers that I referenced right now and throughout this episode are again, are in comparison to high schoolers, right? They turned 20 in January. That's important. I think it's really important. Um, the entire college season, Brandon Miller got destroyed for being 20 years old, for being an old freshman. These guys are the same age and playing against kids who are two to three years younger than them. Breach. Again, I don't mean that as a way to diminish who they are as players individually and what they can become because their potential is still astronomical. What I throw that information out there just to provide context of what their numbers represent and how significantly we could see those change once the you know the the level of defense, the level of athleticism, the level of size and experience and basketball IQ and coaching. I think there's going to be a huge drop off in a lot of these numbers that on their own look awesome. But if you don't factor in that context of age, of play style, of how the OTE had like fast break power plays with five on four situations after fouls and the out of bounds stuff was just grab it and go um, a, a little similar to the Euro league. I think all of that stuff is important. It's not a way to diminish, but just, Everything that OTE was this year, everything that the City Reapers team was this year was specifically crafted to highlight what both of their what both of them are perfectly suited 
for, which is high pace transition, run and gun basketball. It's the exact inverse of what the Ignite was and has been, where the Ignite is constantly putting their players in difficult positions to grow their all-around game, to become better basketball players. I didn't get that sense from the OTE. Now, everyone that's getting ready to exit out or, you know, turn it down, just come on back, calm down, take a little breather, because this is all stuff you you need to think about. We're not trying to be negative. Like, Metcalf, you have them lower on your board. I still have them high. I still have them both in the top, mm-hmm. my top seven. Um, And I have the most questions about them in my top seven, and it's I'm still believing it because of what I said earlier of they both have stuff that is going to come in that a lot of prospects don't have all of that stuff already, even if they have their weaknesses. And I am right there with you. Everyone's going to complain and be like, what are you talking about? They're 20 years old. They're planning. They're 20 years old. So if you're going to use that argument and counter it, you can't use it against Brandon Miller because it's the same stuff, except Brandon Miller is playing against collegiate basketball players. I mean, I've, I've, openly asked people around the league. I had one an executive be like, the OTE league is a joke. Like, and it's just him saying like, they're good, but they're good players. But that league is still a joke when it comes to competitiveness, talent, how old they are compared to what they're playing against. It's not just us bashing the Thompson twins about to be 20 years old. It's 20 verse 16. Like Brandon Miller in that league, my goodness. We joked at uh, No Ceilings this year in the group chat. We were like, imagine if Cam Whitmore was playing in the OTE this year, how damn good he would look. And it was like, yes. Because there's a lot of times in those games, they're up 30. And, you know, it's Olay defense where they're literally waving the red flag for a bull. And, and literally, the Thompsons do one little baby cross and just coast down the lane for an easy dunk. And I'm like, I can't use that one. Skip. Um. And the transition stuff, there's a lot of leak outs. There's a lot of, of course, I'm, but I'm not worried about them in transition. No. Um, let me catch my breath because I got a lot <laughs> I want to talk about. Um, still, with all that said, I'm in Thompson throughout the year, 27 minutes a game. He averaged 16, almost 16, six and six with two steals and almost a block a game. Shooting splits of 56, 25, 65. Yes, everyone, we all just groaned at the same, or, you know, moaned at the same time with the 25% from three. It's just going to be really fascinating about the fit. And the draft is about everyone with fit, but a man, I think, is the number one guy we got to think about his fit in the, in the NBA. And I'm talking with teams. Like, he needs the ball in his hand to thrive. You want a man being a go get the rebound and run in transition with the ball in your hands and make stuff happen. So I don't know. I'm just continuing to be fascinated. I think there's too much talent. I think this is, you're hoping it's, gosh, I'm sorry for everyone with this. I think you're hoping it's Ben Simmons with the mentality of, I'm going to be a relentless worker and I'm not trying to dog Ben Simmons, but obviously he's had some stuff go on. And I hope, I think you're thinking this is what a man could be is like that idea Mm -hmm. of plus size ball handler, great playmaker, hopefully turns it up defensively to be consistent weapon on that side. And then, you know, 
if Simmons doesn't get hurt and doesn't have all this stuff that derails his career, we might've been talking about Simmons being a, a star for years to come in the league. But I think there's a, there's a place in a men Thompson to have great success in this league. And I do think that about his other, his brother, but I'm sorry, I'm all over the place. Yeah, no, I, 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 I want to pivot into a, a little more uplifting stuff because he yes. is a really exciting player. And, you know, th- this isn't just a, a shit on the, the Thompson twins episode. Um, no, but I, well, I don't mean to cut you off, but we have to, everyone's got to be thinking about this. No, I know, but I, I, yeah, I more I so mean, mean that they, there's still a, so much to like about their yes, games there's too, a ton. get excited about. Yeah. Um, we already talked about the transition offense. Um, I, we got to talk about his playmaking. Um, yes. I, I think he's second best playmaker in this class. Probably. I still think scoot is a, a level ahead of him. Um, but some of the reads and the acrobatic kickouts and dump offs that he can make are really, really special. Um, I think we both view him as ideally a primary creator, primary ball handler, you know, pseudo point guard uh, type of role in the NBA. I think that's where he would be best at. Um, and a big reason for that is the combination of his athleticism, how he can collapse the defense and then leverage that playmaking out of that. Where are you at with his playmaking overall? Yeah, I, I would still, I think anyone can argue that he's the best playmaker. Yeah, I'm fine with it. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to get my, you know, my fire, you know, my, my war face on to try to defend it. Cause I think it's also just side of the bed. You wake up on sometimes when it comes to, Flavor of the month. Like sometimes I watch a man and I'm like, oh gosh, he might be the best playmaker in this class. Sometimes I watch Scoot and I'm like, oh gosh, why am I questioning it? A man, I, I kind of hinted at it before. He makes some stuff that some plays, some decisions that you're just like, my goodness. Like, yeah. I don't care that you're doing this against younger guys. Just the ability and the the balls to even attempt to throw some of the, some of the passing windows is just ridiculous. And you can't teach that stuff. Um, you can't find that stuff a lot because mm-hmm. it's just the. Sometimes he's he's aggressively trying to get the window to open up, and that's I think he's got to learn to balance that and it because it also leads to him over trying to find it and then getting yes. into trouble and missing the easy extra where it's like a. I feel like I saw a sequence where he kind of started at the top of the key, tried to drive almost for like a right-handed like floater in the lane, but then like got stopped by three guys and he kept trying to over dribble to create maybe a dump off and missed that. He had a guy right over his right shoulder for a three point shot. That is just like, it was an easy, just wide open catch and shoot for his teammate. But because he's focused on trying to find that assist, he misses it that's where you got to get that balance figured out. And I think an NBA coach will literally stop and be like, look right behind you. You know, like just, you have to understand that you can't always get flashy. You got to sometimes just be simple. And I think that's what his brother understands, but I think a man has the talent to figure that out. I love his playmaking. The only negative I have is what I've kind of stressed of like, he just needs sometimes to not look for the pistol Pete Maravich highlight. Sometimes you just got to make the extra and, and um, very, very gifted with the feel and feeling out when defenders are collapsing and where the ball should go. Um, and, and of course, in transition, looking up the floor, like there's checks a lot of boxes. And then you keep reminding yourself he's six, seven. 
with terrifying explosiveness and you're like, okay, I, I think I need to keep reminding myself of that area too. But what about you, Mecca? Yeah. And I, I think his creativity um, is really, really gets showcased with his passing. Um, and I, he kind of remind, reminds me of like a Josh Allen type quarterback where coming into the league, Allen was lauded for his big arm, his ability to make these absurd throws, but kind of struggled with the in-between touch pass stuff. Yeah, and like a lot of what well, one of my kind of, you know, gripes, I guess, um, with the men is all of his passes seem to be like they're complete fastballs where a lot of it where, you know, on the kickouts, it's perfect because he's making cross-court kickouts that are on a frozen rope and they're right in the guy's shooting pocket and it's perfect. But he's throwing that same trajectory of a pass to a guy who's four feet away from him cutting baseline. And it's like, okay, you, you got to take some of that, so, some of the steam off um, in time. I think that's something that he'll easily be able to do, but passes like that, I think kind of elevated his turnover numbers um, unnecessarily um, these last two years. So I think that would be, and I, I, I think that's, that that's a relatively easy fix for him. Um, but it's just one of those things where it's like, not everything has to be an absolute bullet. Um, you know, you have to throw a catchable ball. Um, something that I found really fascinating was the kind of disparity between his pick and roll playmaking and his isolation playmaking. Obviously all of these playmaking numbers are dependent on the guy making the shot. So there's, a piece of that, but I think the disparity in it, it really highlights how he's able to leverage his athleticism on his own in a vacuum versus how much his lack of shot enables defenders to kind of collapse on him. Um, so at, as pick and roll ball handler, including passes, he ranked in the 41st percentile in points per possession in isolation, um, including passes, he ranked in the 78th percentile in points per possession. And I think that really highlights the ability when in the pick and roll, a man defenders are able to kind of go on, go way under the screen and they're able to double him a, a little more effectively. They're able to build that wall, you know, a la Giannis Antetokounmpo, obviously different players. You just, you get what I'm saying. Yes. Um, and when you bring another, when you bring extra bodies towards the ball in those situations, it makes going under and kind of, limiting his athleticism a little easier in isolation though he's able to kind of lull the defender to sleep because he goes from zero to 100 in the blink of an eye and the the speed on his crossovers and the viciousness of his crossovers gets him into the middle of the paint with ease regularly and then from there that's when everyone on the defense collapses and we saw that with a lot of the spacing issues with the the reapers this year because the entire defense would collapse on him and then that's when the kickouts to the opposite corner happen. That's when the dump offs to the guy in the dunker spot happen. Um, and that ability to be more of a scoring threat in isolation, to really maximize his athleticism in isolation, it's similar to what we see in with his transition offense. And the lack of the jumper, I think, makes his ability to be that dynamic pick and roll um, creator a lot more difficult. Yeah. I, I mean, it's just it's just really interesting with his game because I when he's confident and things look slow, absolutely just dynamic weapon on the court. And and I think the the point you made about the lack of touch on some passes, sometimes he does try to throw just like tight window bullets, and I'm like, 
he has to understand if you're trying to throw those odds are you probably shouldn't throw them because you're trying you're one you're making it a difficult catch for you got to know always who you're throwing it to if you're trying right. to throw in, a in the nba ball, in the nba those probably get caught a little more right 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 yeah know who you're throwing to yeah exactly and um i don't know it, he's just become polarizing for everyone for every evaluator because you have to run through every positive negative and then all of a sudden we're also bringing in the competition level it's like well when everyone gets like disappointed with us saying he's 20 and he's doing this against 16 year olds it's not just the age difference it's jumping from that to grown men NBA, like being thrown into the fire. But I, that's what I'm fascinated about. I don't care mm-hmm. if he's playing, you know, if he was in Europe doing this against guys way younger, I'd be like, fine, whatever. But that league might've been better in Europe than the OTE. And that transition from Europe to the NBA might've been better than what we're going to see from the OTE. I mean, Jan Montero didn't even get drafted last year, right? Uh, Yes. Why do I always... It was either I, like no, he wasn't drafted. Gosh, son of a, why did I have to, I didn't feel confident <laughs> bringing it up and I'd have to, get, gosh, I hate when I do this. Like sometimes just get on a roll. He went undrafted. Dang it. I knew it. Just <laughs> do it with confidence. See, there you go. Just the exact same way as how I feel about a man. Like sometimes I just need him to be confident and we're talking about the playmaking, but I do think he, he's got to unlock some confidence around his game offensively, even if it's, you know, his outside, fine, I'll just stop dancing around it. The outside shot, even if he's not hitting it, he's got to be confident in it because that's going to unlock the playmaking even more And he's got to get people to respect him or they're going to treat him like Rajon Rondo, Celtics legend. And and when you watch the, the full games, it was pretty rare for a defender to defend him outside of the three-point arc. And yes. a lot of the time they were even below the free throw line that's really really concerning and uh, just looking at his his synergy you know jump shot numbers um shot 27.8 percent overall on catch and shoots uh 17.6 percent when guarded 32.4 percent when unguarded um almost 70 percent of his catch and shoot jumpers were when he was unguarded um and then he shot 29.6 percent off the dribble um it's tough it's tough. Really and tough. I don't think we saw a whole lot of growth in his mechanics or his touch um, or his willingness to take a lot of different shots. I thought there was a little bit more of like some mid-range kind of pull-up stuff um, after he would like snake through a defense and confuse everyone and then just kind of turn around and be open on, at the elbow. Um, I thought there was a little more willingness with that in his game this year than last year, but it wasn't much. And those are all terrifying numbers. Um, and that's why everyone's going to, you know, the vicious OTE hive. We love you. I love everyone at the Overtime Elite. Like, we've talked to people yeah. that work in that league this year, and they're absolutely fantastic. I think that league's yes. on the right path. This is the second year. But we're evaluating them as prospects. Like, we're not, we're not going to ever at no ceiling sugarcoat just because we like people. We're telling the truth. That's what we're trying to do, and... Those numbers, you know, numbers don't lie a lot. Sometimes they could lie. But those are a lot of numbers that don't paint a pretty picture. So there's two 
sides of the fence with him in. It's he goes to the right team, is overjoyed with the talent around him and the additional spacing at the NBA and figures it out. And some team figures out how to let him thrive. Or there's the other side where he might go somewhere and it just doesn't click. And still, he has the tools to be someone who can stick around in this league for a lengthy time. He might not be a superstar, but he could be an impactful presence with his size. I think if that world, if that side of the fence happened, he'd have to become a demon on defense. And I think there is that tools and there's that desire, but he's just got to flip the switch. And I hate to say it, but with the OTE, there wasn't a lot of guys that really looked like they were focused on always being a lockdown defender because it wasn't that they didn't want to do it. It was just the play style of it. Felt very, I meant to say this earlier. Their team felt like if you watched the freshman high school team trying to have the courage game of scrimmaging against the varsity team. Like every freshman team, if they've ever done it for fun, they're always like, oh yeah, like we, we could take on the big boys. And then you, you quickly realize in the second quarter that it's, it's going to be ugly very fast because it's just different bodies, athleticism. The game's completely different. Um, it just felt like that at times. Like, oh, stop, lob it over for an easy transition assist dunk. Like there's a lot of that. And it was a lot of like, oh gosh, I don't even want to watch this. It's 30 points now. Like, that's all I got. All right. Uh, l- let's talk about his defense. Um, I was really disappointed in it because the athletic tools are insane. He should be an awesome defender. Uh, the occasions when he actually locked in and was like, I'm not letting you move. Um, he was an awesome on-ball defender. I thought the off-ball stuff, um, it kind of felt like he couldn't have cared less about it. And he was just more eager to leak out in transition that rather than make a rotation and, you know, be that team defender. I always struggle with this, with guys as defenders where it's, well, when he locks in, he's awesome. Okay. Well, how, why, why isn't he always locked in? Why isn't he always trying? Is it situation? Is it because of competition level? Is it because he just doesn't care? And if, if that's the case, then why would that translate to the NBA? Um, I'm cautiously optimistic about the defense because the physical tools are that good when he wants to fully use them? Where are you at with this defense? I'm optimistic. Um, I think he was bored. Yeah. He looked uninterested and bored. And I feel like the whole time I was dive, doing a deep dive, I was like, oh gosh, when does this get fun? And then all of a sudden you'd see one clip and you're like, whoa. And then it would just be like exactly what you're talking about, Metcalf, where it's just like, locked in determined almost pissed off and i was like i was like bud where's this like is this something and then all of a sudden you don't see that for a while and then it comes up again and you're like whoa okay like it's and i talked about it on topic thunder but i gotta find the clip there's a clip where he looks just foaming at the mouth locked in defensively and it looks hellish and I'm like, if this is something we get at the next level, we're like, it's almost playing mind games with me now where I'm like, are they going to, were they just playing at 70% this whole time? And they're going to go to the NBA level and just when they get to a hundred, it's like, oh my goodness. And I think there is a world where we said that, but yeah. me and you, everyone can go fact check us. We said this in the beginning of the damn year. 
we said, me and you said, they need to go this year and just kick ass in the OTE. Like, don't coast. They need to just dominate and put up scary numbers. We said that. And yeah. I was like, they need to go in and just ruin lives defensively. Like, when it comes to be constantly engaged. Like, what, they played 16 games plus the playoffs? Like, come on, just yeah. do that and go crazy and they might have been in the top three and if they put up crazy numbers, I'm saying, and now, I mean, obviously the stats look good. 16, seven and six for a SAR 16, five and 5.9 and 5.9 for a man with 2.3 steals. Yeah. They sound good, but I just like, I just feel like there was another level they needed to hit. They, they, I I feel like they should have been putting up, Cam Boozer, Cooper Flag-esque numbers of what we're seeing those guys do in EYBL play. And they have the athleticism, they have the experience, they have the tools to have done that. It just kind of felt like they were like, hey, let's just get through this season. And and the fact that they put up those numbers when we think they're coasting, so you know, is a real testament to how talented they are. It's just frustrating when you have to pull those performances out of guys. And I don't know. I I I worry about how many of those kind of defensive bad habits have been ingrained and how easily they can work, be worked out of them. But that's where fit and landing spot kind of keep coming back into this. So when we think about a man and his landing spot, where are some of your ideal ones for him? I still go to San Antonio. Um, that's probably the one I know every Spurs fan, when they hear that, they're saying, well, that means we don't get Victor. And I'm like, yeah, that does mean we don't get <laughs> So, I mean, that's still one of my favorite ones. Um, and so I, I know there's some different stats. I just want to focus on men. I know there's some different stats all year. Like, I've seen he's averaging 16, 6, and 6 at other sites. His per 36, if everyone wants to try to come at me for that, he's averaging 20.8, 8, and 7, almost 28 and 8, which is pretty good. But – that would put him down to 23% from three. Um, fits, fits. San Antonio, for sure. Where else? Gosh, this is where it gets ugly, Metcalf. I mean, let's just run through them. Let's just run through some teams, sure. and you tell me. I'll, I'll just say a team, and you tell me yes or no. Is this fun? Okay, we'll have some fun. <laughs> uh, Detroit. Uh, absolutely not. Does it not make sense though? I feel like it kind of might if they were like we're going to play you off the. Okay, whatever. No, I I hate that. Houston, yes. Um, so my my big thing with him, it was, might make sense there. I like so, it. Yudoka uh, would have some fun with them on the defensive side of the ball. Now we're cooking with something. Now we're making yeah. some stuff happen. So that that that's my thing with him and my where I want him to land is somewhere that has structure and where he will be held accountable. I'm not, don't, do not get me wrong. I do not think Houston has any organizational structure right now. I think they just think got some structure right though. And that's going to be a coach who's going to hold him accountable on both ends of the floor and put him in the right spots. And there'll be a team where he can go in and play point guard. And Jabari Smith and Jabari Smith can finally get someone to pass him the ball. Um, the, the pick and roll with him and Sangoon, Maybe hopefully we can see a little more offensive creativity and ball movement there. Jalen Green's offensive burden will be lightened and he can play a little more off ball and then use his athleticism to, you know, attack, be that second side creator. 
Um, if that coaching hire made me more optimistic on his fit with Houston. Sorry, that was long-winded. No, that was really well said. I actually... That might be my favorite fit now. Houston <laughs> Rockets fans don't want to hear that because that means they didn't get Victor or Scoot. <laughs> so I'm just trying to say, like, you got to start opening up. San Antonio, we just talked about yep. Charlotte. No. Couldn't hate it more. Um, Portland. Nope. Orlando. Nope. <sighs> I don't hate it, but I'm I not don't like, hate it, but I don't like it. I'm not over Indiana, Indiana doesn't make sense to me. Pacers fans can call me out. Washington. Eh? Eh? So my, my thing is that Washington hasn't been able to develop a draft pick in the last 20 years. We get so. how you feel about Wizards fans. I still love No, them. I have no issue with Wizards the, fans. It's, the problem is they've taken the right guys, I think. They just haven't developed but No one's gotten better there since Bradley Beal. Sorry. So it's a good quote and, I always say. All right. It's a good quote I've always heard. And I'm sorry for my language, but someone said, if you keep thinking people's are assholes, you're usually the asshole. <laughs> so if you can't develop everybody around Bradley Beal, maybe it's time to <laughs> I love Bradley Beal. Um, we'll stop there because I don't think Utah's taking him. Maybe they would. Um I don't hate that. I don't hate it. And I probably hate Dallas though. So we'll oh stop God, at the top. I hate that more. <laughs> um, and I don't hate Utah, but that's my point. Okay. We did 40 minutes. Do you want to shift any last thoughts before we switch on to Asar? Uh, no, I, I, I think we, we covered it. Okay. I'll, I'm going to ask some questions now. We're going to flip the script. Um, twins, Basil twins. Okay. Asar. We know how you feel about a men. Yep. I'm shocked you're not a little bit more in on a SAR. What is your big picture and what's holding you back from a SAR? I have him at six. Okay. I love him. Um, I'm just really buying it. I'm yeah. buying it a lot. I'm buying the... I'm buying his skills transitioning more than a man. A man, I have seven. I've said this earlier. So I've, I've had a SAR above him for pretty much the whole year. Um, no ceilings can go back and check the group chat in the beginning of the year. I think I threw that to Corey on the side. I was like, I'd like a SAR no, more you, than a man. You've been on that for a while. Yeah. Um, so what's holding you back? Um, Cause you just did your deep dive. And yeah. I feel like that's why we're doing this episode because I was right. waiting for you forever to I do was... your deep dive. <laughs> now I'm ready. Um, now you're ready. But, it, but I also feel like it takes a very mental part of like pre preparation to get ready for the OTE film dive. So you hit it. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm going to talk about the good. Um, yeah, good. I, I, I thought there was a lot more improvements with his jumper than amends this year um i thought his mechanics were a little more consistent i have a little more faith in him being at least like a league average catch and shoot guy um it still wasn't great this year i thought the pull-up stuff was really brutal um from him but i mean just looking at you know he shot 30 percent off the catch 32.8 percent off the dribble not good numbers but better they're trending in the right direction there were there was work put in and I, I think we could kind of tangibly see a difference in his shot from last year to this year, which is really encouraging. Um, I really like him as a cutter. I think he moves off ball really well, uh, really good offensive rebounder. Um, I love all of that. Even if some of the offensive rebounding stuff can be a little reckless, 
I want to try and I want to chalk a lot of that up to just kind of situation and environment of just what OTE's play style was. Uh, transition offense, awesome, similar to a man. Um, not quite as flashy and dynamic of a playmaker as a man, but I think his connective passing um, is still really good. Uh, a lot of his passes lack that zip that a men's do. So like when he makes those cross court passes, there's a little more loop on them, still good vision, still good decision-making, kicking out of drives and all of that kind of stuff. But I don't think there's necessarily the upside as a playmaker. Um, my big thing with him is I think his defense is overrated. Oh, wow. Okay. With a SAR. Yes. Not that it's bad. I'm not saying it's bad. I think it gets overrated because of how good of a defensive playmaker he is. Um, his hands are insane on defense. His ability to pick guys' pockets, to jump passing lanes, I think that's all really impressive. What really, really bothered me, every defensive rota- rotation he made as the low man, he's swiping at the ball. Every single one. There wasn't one instance where I saw him rotate and wall a guy off to go vertical, to challenge a shot at the rim. Um, so you scratch think that last just... part. Scratch that last part. Uh, he did challenge guys at the rim, but whenever he was rotating and a guy would cut back door and he was going, he was always swiping at the ball and it either resulted in a turnover or the guy getting a layup. Okay. I I actually understand what you're saying. So you're, you're saying he's the gambling man. Yes. For for playmaking, I hold please, hold please for thought. Um, yeah, it's everything's playing back in my head. You're right. You're I, I like that. I still think, but see, don't you think that might be an area where? Gosh, now I'm going to be talking like his agent. Well, don't you think? <laughs> um, I feel like you could iron that out, or you, sure. it could be a bad habit that you're. I do believe this is a good saying with all these coaches and development of guys. They'll be like, I want to bring the reins back. I don't want to try to encourage a guy to play harder. Yeah. So like, you, you, I feel like you could easily be like, come back a little bit. Gosh, Metcalf, I love you bringing highlights. So, like, so go ahead. Like, like this one. So he's low man, good on rotation, but instead of just playing defense right here, he just swipes yeah, at the ball and yeah. gets out of the way. And his, t- I, I think his teammate gets called for a foul there. Um, that kind of Which, stuff ha- yes. happened a lot. And if you have the athleticism, what the heck are you doing? Right. Like every time you should, you should be inviting everyone to the table. And at, at this instance, the table is at the rim. Like, uh, come on, try me. Like I, I'm going to block your shot. I get it. And I think that's the frustrations we're talking about on defense. That's just like a little teaser, but there's a lot of those where you're just like, I need the fire. And the fire either needs to be always on at the NBA level, or if it's not, they're not going to be on the court. They're going to be on the bench. Like Tom Thibodeau would not put putting them on the court. If they had one sequence like that, that he'd be like, no, absolutely not. And that's just an example, but I'm saying when they're engaged and they're wanting to be a playmaker and pissed off and, playing like life or death basketball i think they're special defensively but it's not often yeah and i I, my my irritation was i i almost wanted to be bored by his defense and it was always something where i was like oh awesome play running out getting a dunk or you're just you just completely whiffed on that gamble and now the other team has a layup it was always something and there wasn't 
consistency with just good, solid team defense. And like on, on that clip I just showed, like I have no problem with them swiping at the ball. But why are you, every time you're doing that, you're moving your body and getting out of the way in, in an attempt to spark the transition offense even sooner than it needs to be? It's like Ichiro, you know, where he's fallen out of the batter's box as he's swinging in an attempt to get those extra two to three steps down the baseline as he beats out a grounder or, you know, stretch a single into a double. And not every play has to be a home run and has to be this earth-shattering highlight tape mix play just good sound defense that's consistent and deters guys from the rim is really valuable. And I kind of had this issue with Tari Eason at LSU because they were that the entire defensive scheme was super high pressure um, focused on forcing turnovers, getting out running in transition. His, his defense was, I, I thought pretty solid at with Houston, his rookie year. And maybe this is just something that I need to kind of go back and re-examine. And it's like, okay, well, with more structure, with more direction, uh, with more accountability, this is going to be something where, you know, he's in the right spot there on those plays. And it's just teaching them, hey, you're going to have to absorb that contact and draw a foul or, you know, just bump a guy off his spot instead of not every defensive possession immediately has to turn into a transition possession going the other way. I think you're spot on with that. I, th- I think you see it a lot. It's get out and run um, with that league, but that's where it, it gets me in that all-star setting where I f- kind of get annoyed where I'm like, gosh, like I get it, but we're, we're literally just, there's a lot of plays where I, I'm like, I can't even comprehend or I can't even file that in my head of yeah. like, that was a great sequence. Cause it's literally just a transition dunk. And like, um, I know this happens. It's hard to, I know this happens with a lot of guys. Um, but with them, like I'm looking at, you know, they're averaging 16 a game and I'm like, well, at least six of those every game were like easy dunks where it's one on O or two on one or two on O. And it's like, you know, if you think I'm crazy, I literally broke down every single bucket they had this year. It's like, it's, I don't know, but I, I still believe I, I just can't get over the idea that a SAR has less to clean up, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree with you that I, I think he has a higher floor. Um, of yes. The, where his baseline, I think it's a lot easier to envision him as a top eight guy minimum in a rotation. And I think his ability to kind of be a little more plug and play, if you want to say, um, is a little more feasible. And what he does, he doesn't have to have the ball to succeed. Um, because he he does have better or more a higher com- level of comfort with his off ball movement, how to operate without the ball, how to find those lanes to cut into and make himself available in the middle of the floor, um, and and I think that does re- generally translate to the defensive end as well. I would say a man's got the uh, the higher upside, lower floor. Mm-hmm. And I think Asar has the lower upside, higher floor. Yeah. Did you say that's a, okay. You would agree with that? Yeah. It's probably a first of all time that you would agree with me. Um, what else, what else are you thinking about Asar? I, so I like the playmaking a lot because I think he looks, um, he, he looks like a guy that I would just enjoy playing basketball with. I think he makes the extra pass. He's unselfish. He understands where the ball should go. He's a cutter. 
He moves well. He understands like, oh, space, get out. There's a lapse right there. There's a window for me to attack. Like, what are you, where are you at with his playmaking? Compared yeah, to I, his brother, I generally I agree. I, yeah. I, I think he's, I, I think he does a good job of also kind of um, collapsing the defense, getting into the paint, and then making good decisions on those kickout passes. Um, I, I think he's got good vision. I think he's a smart passer, even though the flash isn't really there. It's just sound. It's consistent. Um, when you think about his playmaking and his connective passing, is there anyone in the league that kind of reminds you of, or like a, a type of role that you can envision him filling early in his career? You know, I hate how much you just want to put me on the spot with pro comps. Um, Brogdon? You, you think he runs that much point? No, I'm just saying the idea of like how he understands where to get to his spots, attacks, feels, can set up guys with like driving kicks. I'm saying the idea of him, like I'm saying probably right now where like Brogdon comes in and plays off the ball with like Smart or Derek White and they kind of share some stuff. I'm trying to think of some other one. Livingston back in the day with the Warriors? Maybe. I don't know. I'm just trying to... I think he's going to be this guy you bring in and you're playing him alongside some scorers and he's just really good at, like, I can attack and dump off. I can hit that little elbow jumper in the lane. I can finish with athleticism. Yeah, so, and like, like one that just came to me is, like, Igut, Andre Iguodala. That's a good one. That because is a good I, one. I don't think he's necessarily... I, I know that this isn't what you were saying, um, but I don't think he's going to be as you know, that on ball creator as much, but as a guy who can cut, uh, really maximize those open pockets, um, and exploit the defense and either make those interior shots and, or kick out to teammates. I mean, that we saw golden state for years dominate with that Steph Curry, Draymond green, pick and roll, and then Draymond green throwing lobs to Iguodala or those roles reverse. And I think Asar can, has the, the the ability and the IQ to kind of fill that similar type of role. I actually like the Iguodala one a lot. I guess that's where I'm trying to get at. And I just couldn't think of it, but you know, we just also brought up one guy who played 14 years in the league. One guy who's right. played 18 years and Brogdon's still playing right now. So I think that's where, although we have questions, we have high praise for where he could be and mm-hmm. carving out a role for a long time. The Iguodala one might be one of my favorite ones I've heard for him. Um, because if he buys into that defensive upside and becomes consistent, he I, I still have said before, like I think he has all defensive upside. But he's got to get to a coach that can get the get the bad habits out of the way. And I because I still think when he's on ball and he's engaged, there is stuff there that I'm like, my goodness, he can move fast and be a pest, but I also think he's doing that against 16 year olds. So <laughs> if you're going up against Paul George right away, you might be in a different world when you're like, Oh gosh. Okay. Paul understands that he could probably give me a nightmare. I don't know. Um, no, and I, 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 I have more faith in him kind of filling that Iguodala esque role too, just because of what the spot up numbers looked like. I mean, it's obviously not an awesome percentage, but, shooting 36.9% on spot up catch and shoot jumpers. That's a good number. Um, especially when set, when you have 65 of them, I, I think that's an ample 
kind of sample size uh, to work off of, especially compared to last year where that number was lower. I don't have it off the top of my head, um, but that kind of goes back to the whole tangible shooting improvements that we saw from him this year. Um, I want to pivot back to the defense real quick. How do you feel about his on-ball stuff and just kind of his defensive fundamentals overall? Um, really like the hands. Yeah. And then my problem is, is, is with the Thompson's I, I get married to the flashes because of what we talked about with the inconsistency of not seriousness, but like the, it goes to all-star setting where like, I feel like you can't cause a lot of guys are coasting and they're not playing, you know, like it's the playoffs. It, it's just a different mentality with some of these games and some games it's like the game's over by the first quarter or, you know, by the second quarter, cause it's a 30 point game. Like I went to a game in here in Arizona. I, I went to a game in, I think the score was like 30 at halftime, but like in the second quarter, it was literally like, stop, throw the ball ahead windmill stop throw the ball ahead like biggest alley-oop ever and it was like it felt like 2k on rookie or you're playing nba street that's what it felt like i was watching i was just like oh my gosh so focusing on asar he has stuff on ball that that's where i get like oh gosh okay there is something here yes they both they both have fundamentals they've got to iron out but i feel like his his feet and where he can get going to almost give you nightmares is where I'm like, oh gosh, there's something here a lot. But um, that in the hands mm-hmm. give me really intrigued on ball. Off ball, I think there's a lot of flashes. There's also some very impressive flashes, yes. but there's also some ugly flashes. What, what about you? Where are you at with on ball and off ball if you want to go down that rabbit hole? I mean, I, I think his on ball stuff, I don't, I, I think the peak of it, um, isn't quite where a men's peak is. You know, I, we've been saying that back and forth a bunch now. Um, I, but I think his consistency, both on ball and off ball is a lot more impressive. The hands are, he might have the best defensive hands in this entire draft class. Um, they're lightning quick. Um, I hate his closeouts. I think he's really sloppy with those. I think he can, can get a little jumpy on ball, especially when defending, smaller guards um and it it feels like he's been a defender who has all has just relied on his size and athleticism his entire career so far and he hasn't been held accountable to really finely tune those defensive fundamentals and perfect that footwork perfect his balance um perfect his closeouts all that kind of stuff but at the same time, he's still a really fucking good defender without all of that. So it's like, okay, so if he gets to a team and they focus on, hey, you you got to be more disciplined with your closeouts. You got to be less jumpy on ball. Not every defensive play needs to be this home run swing where we immediately get two points the other way. And instead, we're just taking away a possession from them. Then it's like, okay, now we're talking about a guy who, like you that or that's a situation where I can start really seeing what you're talking about with the all defensive stuff. I just think landing spot similar to a man. I hate comparing them and going back and forth to this, but, but we have to, that's it, it. 
We have to because it's they're twins. But the, the the importance of landing spot and structure and having a plan for him and being held accountable, I think that's going to be so so important. Okay, let's do this again. I'm going to throw you, throw it right at the spot. I'm going to run through the teams. You tell me because this is a fun exercise because yeah. I feel like these answers might be very different. So we're just going to run through the teams. You tell me fit um, Detroit um, in a vacuum. Uh, no, no, I don't like it. Oh, okay. I actually like that one. Houston? Don't like it. Wow. I like it. Okay, here we go. Uh, San Antonio? Don't like it. Don't like that one, even though I like the organization. Yes. Charlotte? Um, I like that one. Like it. Portland? Yep. Yep. Orlando? I sort of like it a lot. I don't. Wow. What? Okay. Uh, Indiana. Uh, yes. Yes. For me too. Washington. I guess. I, no, I, I don't like anyone there. <laughs> yeah. I like, yes. Utah. Yeah. Yeah. Dallas. Yes. So a lot of yeses. Um, why don't you like Orlando? Orlando magic. Who is he taking and- minutes from? I don't think he's taking minutes from anyone. I think he's becoming a very good piece for that rebuilding team. But we also might be creating the backcourt all over again. I feel like he's just going to be a wing that you're playing yeah. with everybody else that's like, I don't know. Right, right. So so of that on that team that right, desperately needs shooting and go. has that size and has go. good wing defenders. There we go. Who is he taking minutes over? If I'm taking him, I'm also with that second Orlando pick probably putting – like Grady Dick, Jet Howard, or Jordan Hawkins in. So then I guess I'm playing Asar and, you know, Jet Howard together, which sounds fun. Which sounds like a lot, a, a bit of fun. Sounds like a bit of fun. But that's, I guess, where my mad scientist mode goes in. But I agree. I understand. I do like him in Houston because I think if he played bad defense, Udoka might actually stop practice and just start screaming. I mean, Yudoka is going to be good I, for Houston. I, I'll throw the off the court stuff out the window, folks. We're not talking about off the court. Yes. I still wish you would have answered what happened. <laughs> yeah, I'm, on, not, I'm not sure we're going to get any of that anytime soon. No, but, uh, I don't think so either. Okay, they did their homework though. But go ahead. Is it, it we just, got anything else? I I don't think I got anything else on either of them. Um, I'm 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 skeptical. I'm a little lower on both of them. And I so, so, so desperately want to be wrong. Um, I I see the potential. I see the vision. Um, I desperately want them to be the superstars that a lot of people really think they can be. Um, if I was a GM, I'm just not sure I'd be willing to stake my job on it. They're going to be the most fascinating. Uh... I also just wonder if someone that's, picking later is going to buy into the gamble and be like, I'm trading up to go get him. Um, one of them. And it'd be funny because maybe they have that more security and they have a plan in place. I did that shocking face for everyone watching on YouTube because Twitter just notified me to that. I should try should subscribe to KOC and get their exclusive content. Hmm. Kevin O exclusive content, you know? So I, I uh, that was just a shocker. I was like, Whoa, Elon calm down. <laughs> um, 
but no, this is a good one, Metcalf. I was excited. Thank you very much for the Thompson twin. Yeah. And we have, we have one more part of this. We, we, we went a little long, so let's get after it. You we start do. it. All right. So it's the most exclusive club in the world. Um, everyone's dying to get in only 14 people and their entourages can, um, it is the no ceilings green room. So Rucker, we have slacked in our duties and updating this consistently. Um, and we, we, we are far from a full green room. So I'm going to give you the names that are currently in there. Uh, we're going to figure out if some people need to get booted, if their, if their tab is run dry and some people are ready to break through, um, that red velvet rope and, and, and enter the club for the first time. So currently in there, we have Victor Wembanyama, Derek Whitehead, Juris Walker, Scoot Henderson, Cam Whitmore, Amen Thompson, Nick Smith, and Brandon Miller. One more time, hit me with those. Victor, Derek Whitehead, Jarris, Scoot, Cam Whitmore, Amen Thompson, Nick Smith, Brandon Miller. Okay. Um, Nick Smith's got a fake. We got to kick him out. Had a fake ID. Got away with a lot of stuff in the club. Has been there way too long. Enough's enough. We got to get it. We got to get him out. Agreed. So he's out. In my book. What yep. do you agree? No, okay. Please. So, so Nick's sorry, Nick. Out. Sorry, Nick. Go get a better ID. <laughs> He's just said McLovin. Um, I think Dariq's out too. Agreed. Uh, I think Dariq hasn't paid his tab in like months, and it's <laughs> like he's got to pay, and then they threw him out because they don't want to deal with it again. So his his card keeps bouncing back. And- card keeps bouncing. He's trying to write checks at the bar. It's not, <laughs> they can't do it. So he's out. You there? You yep. agree? Okay. Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. So we so we now we have two slots and correct me, are we, we at six? Yep, we're at six and we gotta get to fourteen by draft night. So well, this is what we do. Big time players make big time plays. Okay. Well, do You're, you have a nomination, sir? Um before we just talked about a men. Are we are we holding firm on he's in? I think he's in. I agree. I, I I think the vibes, I think the highlight tape, I think the the, the upside, it, it's everything that the green room want, it aspires to be. Um, Do you have a nomination, Mr. Metcalf? Well, let's let's go to Asar. I think so, I, so I, I thought they were both in. Okay, nope. well, Asar, I have in. Okay. You have to agree. This is not a one person. No, I know. I, this I, is I a, am, we have to talk this out. I'm, I'm all, I, I am reluctantly agreeing because okay. I, I, I see the vision. Um, and is he, also, is he on also the Also just fence. having both of them in there. Yeah, is. I mean, they're, they're twins. It's a package deal. We can't split them up. I mean, who are we? I, I'm just both of them in there just immediately improves the vibes. Yeah. Time, I mean, so. night at the Roxbury, if you ever seen it, if you haven't seen it, spoiler Enough. alert, when they split up the brothers and they start going off on their own, it's the movie's terrible. Every, all the vibes go out the window. So you have to have them together. Agreed. Okay. Do you have any new nominations? The house would like to nominate Taylor Hendricks. Ooh. Okay. Make your, Make the case. I love Taylor Hendricks. I have him at seven on my board, but make make the case for why why the green room. Um, I think he's going top ten. I think it's a lock, mortal lock of the decade. You know, tried to bet it already on the 
sports betting sites. Um, give us an email. We'll start actually referencing you on the air. I will sell out to no sponsor <laughs> unless they give us money. Um, I think Hendricks is going top 10. I think he's going to be, I think he might be a, a safe floor guy that I haven't really realized until I'm talking about this right now. Like he might be one of those guys that the floor is a lot higher than people realize. Six nine defensive potential shot blocking, um, good off ball guy, three point shooting checks a lot of boxes. Check 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 check. And I think when we get past top five in this draft, wide range. So I could see Taylor going as high as six. I could see him going more towards like eight nine. Big fan. Okay, and and just for the record, just for for new listeners who may maybe like what the fuck is this green room thing um th- this isn't necessarily just our lottery ranking yes either it, it's a a blend of vibes of upside of potential yes. of skills all all of it um plus we need hendrix has been at florida so he's seen some stuff so we need that type of wild card who's he's not going to get pressured by whatever weird stuff happens inside the green room because he's seen some stuff He's going to have that flat line, you know, flat heart rate. It's not going to spike or go down. It's just, he's going to be like, ah, I'm having a good time. You know, is he too boring? And I mean, this as a compliment. Oh, that might actually be a good. Cause everyone that's, you know, come on. If you know what the green room, we have to get a little weird. We have exactly. to examine everything here. It, it's a but cloak, do do a we cloak. need boring? Do we have to have a good balance of characters and boring so jarris is in there i feel like jarris and taylor are kind of probably opposites where it's just like they're both good dudes but maybe one's a little bit more you know mr personality than the other and i'm not saying taylor hendrix is a boring guy i'm just saying no, they might no. be both just like you know i'm just talking play style they are also both of them yeah taylor's probably a guy where the bouncer like by the third time is like T, what's up? Because he's just never going to get in trouble and they like him, you know? Okay. Yeah. I I can get on board with that. Okay. Do you got All a right. nomination? Should we just do one nomination each and then we'll review? Um, no, I, I, I'd say we just stick with one for this week. And uh, okay. I, I, I think the next couple the... of weeks, we, uh, we, we do a little better of like the last five to 10 minutes of the show. Um, revisiting. Okay. Next week, you if needed and nominate someone else. Next week, it's your nomination. So now you have Perfect. to spend the whole week thinking about who you're going to nominate in your sales pitch. We're going to start making it official. I'm going to get some theme music. I told Metcalf I was working on a graphic for it. I started it, hated everything I was trying to design. <laughs> so I was like, okay, hate that. I can't do it. So um, I'll keep I'll keep working on it. But yeah, we'll do next week. Mr. Metcalf has the nomination. Perfect. Well, Rucker, this is a blast. Um Hopefully people learn something. Uh, hopefully we don't get completely destroyed on social media, but if so, I'm ready for happy, it now. Ha- happy to converse. Um, Rocker, plug away. Yeah, I'm ready for, I'm ready for all <laughs> the heat now. Like I'm, I'm, <laughs> no one cared who I was until I put on the mask. Um, thanks for everyone for, for always listening for your support. It's been fantastic year two. Um, very excited keep a lookout on some very big announcements coming up soon. Uh, Metcalf, good luck tonight with the NFL draft. Everybody with the NFL draft, enjoy it. Have some fun. Realize that the big real draft is right around the corner. 
Um, I'm at Tyler underscore Rucker on Twitter. If you want to talk to me, send me some DMs on hoops. Let's 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 get after it. Um, if not, go no ceilingsnba.com. Absolutely free. Metcalf, that's all I got. Um, what do we have? We have 19 days. As as people are listening to this, it's 18 days until the NBA draft lottery. Oh god, that's fantastic. Almost two weeks. We're getting oh to two god. weeks. Oh my god. Unbelievable, baby. So um that'll be a fun one. Gosh, I gotta get to work. I can start figuring <laughs> oh out. Oh my god, there's stuff. so much to do. <laughs> All right. Well, once again, I'm Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at TMetcalf11. Uh, you can find all of our written work, including my breakdown of Amen Thompson's rim pressure over at no ceilingsnba.com. It's 100 percent free. Just click that subscribe button while you're there to make sure that you don't miss anything that gets published Monday through Friday. Um, follow us across all socials at No Ceilings NBA and on YouTube at No Ceilings TV. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating. Until next time, see ya.